Hello, and welcome to the Pacific Center podcast. My name is Dr. Greg Lane, and I will be your host as we explore many interesting topics with many amazing people from a variety of professional backgrounds over the months and years ahead. The focus of this podcast will be the intersection of the traditional healthcare practices of various cultures and the modern scientific research on peak physical and cognitive performance. The show will be delivered in an interview format. A quick disclaimer, while we may be discussing some health-related issues and therapies, in no way will this be construed as medical advice. As always, if you're seeking information or treatment for a medical condition, please consult with a licensed healthcare provider. Our guest today is Dr. Joe Tafur, founder of Niwei Rao. Psychoneuroimmunology, integrative medicine, family medicine, traditional Amazonian plant medicine. Dr. Tafur is an integrative-minded family physician and founding partner of Niwei Rao Centro Espiritual. He is Colombian-American from Arizona, studied biology at UCLA, then med school at UCSD, completed family medicine residency at UCLA, then went on to do a postdoc in the Department of Psychiatry at UCSD, studying low-intensity, high-light therapy, and simultaneously psychoneuroimmunology. Dr. Tafur has been working in and around integrative medicine throughout and after his medical training, working on a variety of academic and community activities with traditional Chinese medicine and yoga practitioners, as well as energy healers. He's been studying traditional Shipibo plant medicine for the past five years and is now apprenticing under Ricardo Amaringo at the Nihue Rao Center. His primary interest at this time is in spiritual healing and in working to integrate practices like Amazonian shamanism and other traditional approaches with modern healthcare. Dr. Tafur's book, The Fellowship of the River, explores his extensive experience with ayahuasca and traditional medicine in the Amazon rainforest. And during his extensive work at the Peruvian Healing Center, Nihue Rao Center Espiritual, Dr. Tafur studied traditional Amazonian plant medicine, or TAPM, and Shipibo shamanism under Master Ayahuasquero Ricardo Amaringo. At the center, he learned how shamanic approaches can help to heal modern health problems like anxiety, depression, PTSD, migraine headaches, and digestive problems. Dr. Tafur continues to work in both allopathic and shamanistic medicine and is focused on connecting the worlds of academic medicine and spiritual healing. In his years at Nihue Rao Centro Espiritual, he collected a number of integrative case studies from which he developed his theories about bridging modern medical understanding and the profound world of shamanic healing. Woven into the stories of his Amazonian adventures, Dr. Tafur has summarized these theories in his thought-provoking new book, The Fellowship of the River, a medical doctor's exploration into traditional Amazonian plant medicine. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Tafur from his uh, home in Arizona. Dr. Tafur, welcome. It's so great to have you with us today. 
really are. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll just like clear up a, one thing from the bio because it might be an older one. Okay. That, you know, I don't know. I've been involved in the Amazon since 2007 mm -hmm. and then more intensely studying since 2011. Oh, thank you for the clarification. Yeah, no problem. So let's dive right in. Can you uh, give us a brief history of, uh, well, how did you get involved anyway with, uh, with ayahuasca and the region and, and then we'll right. kind of larger, larger scope here. Yeah. So, uh, I went to UCSD for medical school in San Diego and I got depressed in medical school mm. and I was having a hard time. And I was like, I kind of get into all those topics in the book and I, uh, I, you know, I tried a few different things. My dad is a psychiatrist and, uh, I, Eventually, um, after kind of, you know, benefiting a little bit from just normal treatment, but still not feeling quite well, I, I entered peyote ceremony in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to try peyote in a kind of a spiritual ceremonial context. Mm -hmm. And I had a really uh, profound healing. Mm -hmm. And so I felt a lot better and I became very curious about plant medicine and, and the shamanism. Mm -hmm. And then my family is from Colombia and I had heard about ayahuasca or yahe as they call it in Colombia. Mm -hmm. And I had a family connection. My grandfather's best friend was a botanist that had spent some time in the Amazon. And so I, uh, I was aware of that. And so because of the kind of profound uh, response that I had to peyote, and as I got to know more kind of medicine men or people that were working with peyote, I became very curious about, I wonder what they're doing down there, you know, with mm -hmm. ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to go down and I had an opportunity to go with a friend and, and I, you know, I had a very impactful experience and I was really taken by personally by the experience, but also like very impressed by the kind of healing work that I was seeing happening, mm -hmm. you know, through this traditional kind of a medical system. Mm -hmm. and just the the amazing results that I was observing. And so I started going back, you know, and then to, for myself and to kind of learn more about it. And then eventually I uh, started taking groups down and kind of got closer to the shamans. And, uh, and then one of the shamans, you know, Ricardo Maringo was interested in starting his own place. Mm -hmm. And he invited myself and Svita Mamesh and a few other people to join him to start a new healing center, which was Niwerao. Okay. And so then, yeah, we, we, we did that. Uh -huh. And that, what, what year was that? How, how long have you been doing that? Niwerao opened in 2011. Okay. So, yeah, you know, it's like really 2018. So it's, it's really eight years because it's still, you know, during the whole 2011. Mm -hmm. We started, you know, we bought the property in 2010, started constructing, building, and, so it's been working for about eight years, but like at the end of 2016, I stepped out as a business partner and mm -hmm. am selling my shares of the center to Ricardo. Okay. Yeah. But I still take groups there and consult with them. Uh huh. Can you give us a, give us a sense of what that, uh, Niwe Rao looks like? You said you, you sold shares and it, what, what is, is it a big piece of property with? It's uh, a big piece of property. Niwe Rao is like a 20 acre property in okay. the forest outside about an hour and a half outside of town mm -hmm. up against a very large national park. Mm -hmm. 
And so then it's uh, a retreat center, you know, kind of in a rustic kind of construction style, traditional style with leaves, you know, thatched roofs mm-hmm. and rooms for people to stay in. But then they also, you know, there's showers and bathrooms and there's a maloka for the ceremony, a ceremonial space. And there's also uh, like little huts in the forest for people to do isolation if they want. Mm-hmm. And there's also... Uh, you know, there's a space, there's an art maloka, and there's a space for people to do creative work. Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, there's a kitchen and a dining area and like all that kind of services that people have. And, and others, you know, where it's a lot of land, so there's a soccer field and oh, nice. plenty of places to hang out. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they have a website, niwayrao.com, okay. with a lot of photos. Uh-huh. So um, it sounds beautiful. It sounds idyllic. Um, yeah, it's very beautiful. So when people come, do they stay for, is it a, is it a set period of time? Like a yeah, week it's, or? it's open-ended there. The center is running throughout the year. And so people come for a minimum of one week. Uh, more typical stay is 10 days or maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that stay for a month or sometimes two months or three months or six months or even a year. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, so prolonged treatment. Uh-huh. So how many people approximately have come through there since like 2000, mm, I think? Probably, I don't know, probably a thousand. Oh, wow. Yeah, is maybe. It, is it one of the bigger ones down there? Or? It's, uh, it's one, I mean, there are, it is one of the bigger ones. There are, uh, there are some good-sized ones, but I think property-wise and, and uh, it's been around, you know, it's been functioning. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, I would say it's one of the larger centers. Mm. Can hold and like probably about you know anywhere from like fifteen to twenty people could be there at one time. And are are most people that come there are they they're seeking a treatment for particular disorders, conditions, or or a combination of things? Just they want to try it or? Yeah, I think we kind of, that, that this place, like the shamans that work there, Ricardo and his team, you know, they're serious about what they do. So they're not so interested in like, and they don't, they don't really think that's respectful, you know, to try it, especially not in the, yeah. in the conditions in which the, what they're providing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, the so they don't so that's the minimum one week stay mm-hmm. uh is kind of to try to minimize that and then it's so far out you know of people's way mm-hmm. uh and they have to kind of reserve and go through a screening process mm-hmm. so most of the people there are looking for help mm-hmm. there are people that want to explore but in their exploration usually inevitably something comes up you know yeah. that they that they want to work on okay okay yeah, I mean, this kind of brings me to sort of, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about the history of, of psychedelics and altered states in in, in general. Um, maybe that, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the best use of our time or not, but I, I just yeah. pose you the question, like, what? how do you, what is your um, take, on, take the, on the history? The history? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, now there's like Michael Pollan's book out, the like, How to Change Your Mind, which is pretty comprehensive, like mm-hmm. look at it. Mm-hmm. I have a little like section of a chapter on that, you know, which is basically, you know, well, we know there's been traditional use 
of and of different psychedelics all over the world right for thousands of years you know and the, so the obvious examples are you know there's ayahuasca in south america and other related plants and then there's the peyote and and there and then there's mushrooms you know it's mm -hmm. quite widespread and mexico is a famous place where they had a uh, kind of, they continue to have a tradition around like psilocybin mushrooms, but then there's mushroom use, traditional use, I guess, throughout like Europe and Asia as well, you know, in North Africa and, and in Africa and beyond. And then there's Iboga, you know, in West Africa. And so those are some of the examples of, of what's been going on for thousands of years. And then as far as like modern Western culture, or maybe just American um, society, it's it's kind of you know in the early days in the 40s and the 50s in europe and north and north america they, they discovered lsd and they isolated psilocybin from the mushrooms that were being used you mm -hmm. know down and they isolated mescaline you know from the peyote mm -hmm. and they began to do research on it and and they were considered like very promising substances to learn about neuroscience and and brain chemistry and also, uh, you know, human psychology and, and the treatment mm -hmm. of, of, you know, all kinds of forms of uh, mental health problems, you mm -hmm. know, initially, including like, well, addiction was a big focus, but then, you know, other things, yeah. uh, trauma related things. Mm -hmm. So then that was going on in the 40s and the 50s and into the 60s. And then, you know, LSD and things like that kind of leaked into the population at large right. and we're kind of being used outside of the clinical setting. And then eventually, you know, that led to the whole thing, right? The psychedelic sixties and the hippies and everything. Mm -hmm. And that whole movement, which eventually kind of, uh, aggravated, you know, the authorities. And then there were other concerns about just kind of reckless use, Right. And, uh, and just like, it's new to everyone. So, you know, they're just like challenging to the establishment. And so there was a counter movement from the government to shut it all down. Mm -hmm. And so pretty like in the late sixties, right? pretty successfully in the late sixties and the early seventies, they stopped all psychedelic, uh, research and clinical kind of research with psychedelics. And then it started back up again. Um, you know, there's, there's like the group maps from that's based in the Bay area right now. You know, there's people that were trying to, in the eighties, I guess that there was at some point MDMA was being used in psychotherapy, which, mm -hmm. you know, kind of became the like party drug ecstasy mm -hmm. and that became illegal. And so then there were a lot of people working to try to legalize that or find a legal pathway to, to bring back psychedelic psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. So that was brewing and there's other people trying to do things. And then it was in the nineties that uh, the university of New Mexico, Rick Strassman started doing research with DMT, you know, mm -hmm. which is uh, like the big, the main psychedelic uh, component of ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And so they started to reopen those kind of trials. And eventually that led to research that's now going on that, a number of universities, including like Johns Hopkins and UCLA and NYU and Imperial College of London. And so it's really, there's a renaissance in, in psychedelic research once again, and a, and a second look at the responsible use um, 
in which there's been benefits shown with things like anxiety and depression and PTSD and addiction, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then meanwhile, like in the nineties, probably uh, on the South American, you know, people started more and more people started going to Peru, for example, to explore ayahuasca. And then these centers started popping up and this ayahuasca tourism scene, you know, I think by 2000 it was a little more, there's a few centers and, you know, first time I went down there, 2007, there were some centers that were kind of larger scale and ready to receive people and, you know, working with translators and things like that to facilitate people's experience. So it wasn't just about like going out to the village and finding a shaman, you know, it was like a place with the website mm-hmm. that was inviting people. And that's how I went, you know? Yeah. And then since then, you know, like I said, all this psychedelic science research that's going on. And since then in Iquitos, yeah, it's blown up. There's many centers mm. um, where many people have gone. Yeah. It seems like um, we're beginning to, like you said, have a, this, we're starting to see this renaissance in uh, the use of, of psychedelics. In fact, you know, some people are there. I think we were talking before we got on, on the air here about microdosing and can you maybe elaborate a bit on this whole sort of dichotomy between uh, I guess we would call that the recreational sort of personal use side of things where, you know, people are, people are microdosing themselves with various substances, DMT or, or right. uh, psilocybin or, or even LSD uh, versus the real, you know, the, the uh, guide-led therapeutic interventions that you're talking about that are really um, maybe more profound? Yeah, I guess it's like, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, microdosing is going on with all these different substances and, and, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's like more popular and being talked about in like peak performance kind of discussions when really, Mm -hmm. I guess most people, I think a lot of people that are microdosing are like, trying to treat something mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i think that's like you know I, I, a lot of people i think are like exploring that as an antidepressant kind of effect mm-hmm. you know and so i don't know it's kind of like been popularized as this like oh yeah you know peak performance but it's, it's kind of weird because i don't know what that means exactly like being better at something you don't like mm-hmm. or what does that mean you know right, right. it's like that's kind of a confused kind of materialist uh, approach, you know, to me. But I mean, I'm not against it because I mean, I think a lot of people, they, they gain benefit and, and, you know, it's out there and I don't think it should be illegal. Mm-hmm. And so that being said, and then there's the recreational use, which, you know, probably a lot of us have had recreational experiences. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been a lot of fun. Some of them are troubling and some of them maybe have been very profound. Right. And, um, and you know, and then in the case of something like ayahuasca where there's this, uh, traditional kind of plant medicine uh, system that's kind of still, you know, working from this ancestral experience, mm-hmm. there's, there's another level of, of perhaps like what can be done, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I explore, you know, cause there's a lot of people, you know, just to touch on one concept related is like a DMT, you know? So then people have the DMT Mm-hmm. And so they think, I mean, you, you work with Chinese medicine and all this stuff. And, you know, so you get this reductionist approach, right? You know, they're like, Oh, we have DMT 
And the only reason the Amazonians don't smoke DMT is because they're so primitive right. that they don't have a laboratory, you know, to isolate versus like whole plant medicine, you know, herbal medicine, you know, right. where Chinese medicine would be the perfect example to discuss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not the same thing uh, having a molecule of glucose as eating a chocolate cake. Right. Like, it's just not. And it's right. not the same thing as, you know, swallowing a handful of caffeine or mm-hmm. drinking some tea. Right. It's not. And, and THC is not the same as marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and yeah. all the isolated things and, and multi-plant mixes. And so that's just one thing. But, you know, so it's this reductionist approach. And, you know, that people want them to have access to something and they have access to that. Mm-hmm. But like with people smoking DMT, where I think a lot of people have reported a lot of amazing experiences and some people have reported like profound healing experiences and some people have reported problems, mm-hmm. um, like managing these really uh, severe or intense altered states. Mm-hmm. And I just, but I haven't seen those people reporting the kind of healing, like for example, that's described in the book, mm-hmm. you know, where people are, are really making like real serious gains. Although some people are, you know, like, let's say with microdosing, I mean, in a way it's like a treatment, right? Like what's the difference between microdosing and taking Prozac? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's in, it's in the same ballpark, you know, it's it's different and you can get it yourself, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's a, it's a chemical treatment, you know, and ideally you would be making some gains so that you wouldn't necessarily need that. Right. That's what the hope is. So it's like, once you're treated, okay, we, you moved up uh, to another stage and like Ken Wilber talks about like, you know, there's state changes and there's stage changes. Mm-hmm. And so, and not that you're necessarily going to achieve that with ayahuasca, but, but there's pathways within the tradition to try to make the most of it, which is what we're also seeing with the psychedelic assisted uh, psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, when they have this big trials for PTSD, that's a very famous trial from, you know, maps, the MDMA trial. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are taking MDMA, you know, all over the place, right? They all partied yeah. with MDMA, yeah. and but they're not getting the kind of results that these guys are getting, right? You know, and these guys are only doing two or three sessions of MDMA, right? And so it's like it's part; it's in the context of this advanced therapeutic approach, mm-hmm. and so that's just that's a perfect example, and that's why I promote that a lot. It's like. Psychedelic, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy mm-hmm. is turning out to be way more effective than just psychedelics. And in that, in that same sense, like traditional ceremonial context mm-hmm. in which people explore, you know, ayahuasca or let's say even mushrooms or whatever it is, mm-hmm. is quite different, you know, than what people might just get from their own experimentation for, for the simple reason that, and in Chinese medicine is a perfect example. You know, you can, I'm a doctor, I can go take a short course in acupuncture mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll get the license and mm-hmm. I can do it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, does that, does that, does an ignorance of the philosophy underlying Chinese medicine limit my practice? Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's a fact yeah. and that's based on experience of actual practitioners. Right. You know, so it's, it's that kind of discussion where experience teaches wisdom. Mm. And so, you know, you don't, like I bring it up all the time, you know, architecture is like not, you don't just, somebody didn't just figure it out by themselves Mm because they're such a prodigy, Mm -hmm. you know, that was like, we received the revelation and the message that they know how to do it. It's like, actually it's built on like hundreds and thousands of years of experience 
-hmm. that allow us to live in the kind of buildings we live in today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Uh, Well, you made a couple of really important points. Obviously, the synthesis of DMT is definitely not the same as as the whole plant structure and all the molecules and all of the interaction between the the plant terpenes and flavonoids and whatever else is in there and just the the magic of the whole plant, if you will. And then they, and then the guide aspect, the, the teacher aspect and the, and the, the, even the group, you know, if they're in the group where they're, Oh, sure. You know, it's it's very impactful. You know, there's no question that, and that's a lot of, that's part of what's missing for people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is, can be so, uh, therapeutic for people in places like Niwe Rao and in kind of ayahuasca retreat center that's, you know, that's run well, that's run responsibly. You know, there's a lot of ways you can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But is that like, you know, I bring it up a lot is Maladoma Somme, an African shaman. He says, well, you know, what's missing in the West is they're disconnected from nature. Mm-hmm. They're disconnected from community mm-hmm. and they're disconnected from spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those are three things that really, you know, you could Make, he makes the argument that this this really disturbing to the mental health of the society. Sounds like a bad place to be. <laughs> it sounds like USA, you yeah. know, and uh, I well, mean our the Western, Western culture, world, yeah, the Western world, you know, say, yeah, for sure, yeah. So then it's it's a hard it's hard on us as human beings. So once you get people, yeah. you know, into a natural setting in a retreat center, that's mm-hmm. healing, and we have this forest bathing research and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then you get them in community, you know. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these problems are rooted in relationship problems, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's childhood stuff and, and those kind of things that affect people's emotional development. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you, sometimes you need a social solution, you yeah. know, to help people work these things out and allow the social kind of community to create a network to allow people to kind of explore things that alone is just too high voltage. Mm-hmm. And then the last part is like, you know, some kind of mystical um, context where, you know, a simple concept like hope, you know, could yeah. actually be like celebrated and not like, you know, uh, I don't know, become this like topic of some kind of intellectualization. Mm-hmm. It's like you want your children to hope, you know. So it's like this, you allow the common sense, like I say, where the mystery, you know, what's mystical, what's spiritual, I guess to me, it's like those things which we experience that are beyond the understanding of our mind. But Mm. the key point is that we experience them. Mm. Like that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about some made up thing. I'm talking about something that somebody went through and they lived it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so they're, you know, in other words, we don't have to deny uh, strange phenomena happening to us uh, in our own life, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a huge, like in the Western kind of scientific rational point of view, it's like, well, that's kind of like the first step is like all of a sudden everyone's going to throw away yeah. their subjective experience of this life. Yeah. It's uh, which is ultimately like very foolish and you, you wouldn't do that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a dialogue with a loved one, you know, people do, but it's considered you know, ultimately considered a very cold hearted kind of, approach to take with somebody mm-hmm. you know and it's going to hurt somebody and it's going to cause problems you know if you can't like try to have some kind of compassionate understanding to some of the mysteries that, that people experience mm-hmm. 
You know, it, it sounds a little bit like um, what you're saying is that these, these substances, ayahuasca, et cetera, psilocybin, they, and I, I've read this and I've experienced it, it, it they, they, they're the keys sort of to unlock the door a bit. Yeah. You know, that's what a lot of people say. So then they kind of like, in the case of ayahuasca, like, I think there's a further like therapeutic experience, you know, and, and, you know, so that again, get into the thing of all oh, the purge. Mm-hmm. So this considered, oh, that's just, you know, primitive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to purge. I don't like purging. So, you know, just smoke the DMT. Right. But it's like that kind of visceral response Mm-hmm. quite often is like a big part of people's healing experience. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, just like with the somatic experience therapy and, you know, transformational breath work or, you know, other forms of, of somatic release, you know, even acupuncture, mm-hmm. you know, where, or Matuina massage or whatever it is, but like mobilizing uh, energetics mm-hmm. in the body, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing something to shift and change. Mm-hmm. Or, or facilitating that so there's you know there is that aspect you know to, just to comment because in the tradition down there all over the amazon like the plant is never the tea is never named for the dmt containing plant mm. you know it's named for the ayahuasca mm-hmm. the ayahuasca is seen as the the vine is seen as the you know the grandmother of it all and that the visions, you know, they can be informative and they can be revealing, but that the power of the medicine is not there. The healing is not there. Mm-hmm. So that there's, there's a healing power, you know, in the vine itself. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, so that, that distinguishes it a little bit in the sense that it's not, it's not relying on the pure psychedelic experience. However, mm-hmm. you know, the psychedelic experience is, is a, a very, you know, significant part of it. Mm-hmm. And and then it's that key, you know, and, and that's what they talk about, um, you know, for somebody who's very, let's say, blocked mm-hmm. to they never receive any kind of cultural or family education about mystical experiences or about like opening your heart, mm-hmm. you know, or overcoming your ego. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have a direct experience of that, you know, maybe it's just for a few hours, but they become aware that that is exists. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then there's this like deconditioning aspect, you know, so Terrence McKenna said a lot, like this is a deconditioning agent, you know? So in other words, like how do you get somebody to open their mind and become aware of some part of themselves that they've kind of like scarred over, shut down. And all of a sudden it opens these gates, you know, mm-hmm. and you become aware of, of, of all kinds of things. So what are those gates? You have, you have training in, in um, psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. What, what, are they, what are we seeing in the research? Well, the research is talking about like one of the focus areas of the research that is like partially from several different people. One of the big schools, Imperial College of London, and with their research with psilocybin, this has been replicated with ayahuasca. And, you know, I think they've also been looking at the other substances. Mm-hmm is there's this talk of this default mode network in the brain. Okay. So that there's this, uh, DMN default mode network, which is a series of kind of networks that are communicating with each other Mm -hmm. 
that is being like Imperial College of London in one of their papers, they talk about it like maybe this is the neural correlate of the ego. Mm. You know, like this is, and the reason they say that is because when people have in their research study, ego dissolution experiences described, you know, they see dramatic shifts in the activity of this default mode network. And so then they're saying that this is like the experience of ego dissolution, which is associated with this thing is kind of like a filter, you know? So it's, what is it associated with? Like there's more default mode network activity or, I mean, it's a certain kind of activity. So it's further characterized than just like more or less, you know, there's some qualities of it. Mm-hmm. And so more, of it, you know, when you have like overactive mental activity, a lot of rumination. Mm-hmm. So it's like sense of yourself, sense of your own like story, sense mm-hmm. of your own, um, you know, uh, time traveling in your mind, thinking about the past, you know, mm-hmm. the stories that you really, that are like really strong with your concept of your own identity, mm-hmm. you know, they're associated with activity or this kind of overactivity. Similarly, overactivity in the default mode network has been noted in things like anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. you know, with this overactive thinking and addiction and, you know, like PTSD. So it's like, and even things like, you know, I, my friends at USC and they're looking at default mode network and in relation to, to meditation. Yeah. So meditation does, it has a similar effect mm-hmm. on this default mode network, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more lasting you know, with a with regular practice. Mm-hmm. So with the same kind of idea that it's like, it's, it's relaxing this ego, mental kind of, you know, activity. Mm-hmm. And then that allows for more free flowing, like sensory integration to come from the senses. Mm-hmm. Okay. From the outer world. So people are more aware. They're not so stuck in their heads as people would say, mm-hmm. you know, they're more aware and perceptive. Mm-hmm. to the world around them and there's also more free flow from the, the interoception mm-hmm. you know in mm-hmm. other words the sense of the internal feelings inside their body mm-hmm. which are you know closely linked to their the state of their health and their function but also very interrelated to their emotions mm-hmm. so then there's a lot of emotional content that comes forward mm-hmm. that is otherwise suppressed you know so then you can imagine like a situation where, and this is like theory, you know, but this related, it's based on these, this evidence that's being demonstrated that let's say like some heavy trauma where the system is just overwhelmed mm-hmm. and really can't afford to feel that feeling anymore. Right. And so you kind of scar over and you get this excess default mode network activity mm-hmm. to kind of like close down, you know, mm-hmm gates and feelings within mm-hmm. and so then that's you know so then one of the strange phenomena that that happens is a lot of people like have uh repressed memories you know come back mm-hmm. often of trauma yeah so that, that's interesting that you that you say that and you know i know that um we talked a little bit earlier about purging and like you know in in a lot of traditional um, yeah. uh, cultures, we have to, they do this, they, they take some time right. and, and prepare the body, prepare the mind before they, uh, go in and, 
you know, it sounds like this default mode network now is sort of we're, we're looking at that. Is that found in in uh, multiple areas of the brain, or is it just in the hippocampus? Or is it no, it's 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 like a uh, it's it's not just in the hippocampus. It's like a it's kind of like a you know you'd have to look it up, and I'm not a total okay. like expert of, but it's multiple areas that are linked. Okay, okay. kind of like you know to me, uh, kind of like it seems to me like somewhere at the interface of of the cortex and the limbic system. Yeah. Interesting. You know, so there's like this prefrontal cortex and this other, you know, these other little parts. And in the book, I, 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 I mentioned them and then I show, you know, I cite the papers mm-hmm. for people who want to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very real thing. It's a big focus and it's also a big focus in meditation research mm-hmm. because it's like, well, if, if, if depression and all these things are associated with this uh, default mode network activity, Mm-hmm. And like, and you know, it's funny because in the culture, if you have a culture that's kind of like promoting kind of dysfunctional default mode network activity, then you see these kind of epidemics mm-hmm. of anxiety and depression, and and then you see that somehow like these spiritual approaches, like, are like helpful, you know? Yeah. Like this ego dissolution activity is part of what like opens things up perhaps in, in some cases to allow for certain like stunted emotional processes to complete and resolve, mm-hmm. you know? And so then you, then you allow like, so functioning, you know, is able to flow again, you know, kind of like yeah. some kind of blockage or stagnation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that would have, you know, it would be, it would be multiple areas of the body involved, but this is, this is part of it. So in the focus of neuroscience, like that's been a big hot topic, and this is real interesting with the meditation that it's just going together. Mm-hmm. And then there's this one other extra piece, you know, that is also consistent in like a lot of the research and people's experience in the psilocybin research is once you do this, you know, once you kind of get people towards this ego dissolution, and you know, and then we hear about this in meditation as well then quite often people have a mystical experience. Yeah. It's not like, it's not, it's like, it's like in the psilocybin research, it's like, wow, that's very high. Yeah. uh, You know, percentage. So they're saying, well, this is kind of how it works. Like turn off the default mode network. And then all of a sudden you kind of get this access Mm -hmm. to something else. Yeah. It's like this, the, like you said, the deconditioning agent. Yeah, exactly. Which is flipped off or on, whatever you yeah. want, however you want to describe yeah. it. Yeah. So it allows for, you know, so it's this catalyst that allows for something mm-hmm. to reorganize, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of the ways some people, and again, that's like this whole, this larger context, like how do we help people reorganize in some effective way? Mm-hmm. like they're doing with this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy where they're getting these high percentage results of lasting effects. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, so you, you prepare them just like we prepare the people to some degree in the Amazon tradition, like you said, with a vomitive and with a particular diet and try to like lay down the groundwork. Mm-hmm. You know, in Ayurveda, they do a lot of vomitives and enemas and all kinds of stuff like that. I'm sure. And then, you know, I've run into that in South Africa as well. Traditional medicine, they do a lot of vomitives and, you know, steam, vapor baths and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I think is all associated to this, you know, the release 
of some of this emotional, um, you know, trauma quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's sort of, of the, that's kind of even seeped its way into, uh, well, America, and I, I don't know about the rest of the Western civilization, but this concept that it sort of exists in this concept of uh, uh, detoxifying, right? I mean, liver exactly. detoxes are everywhere. So it's, it's in our consciousness, our collective consciousness to a certain degree. We, we know, yeah, we know we have to detoxify. And, and so like what's a little, you know, what the book is trying to say and I think, you know, and I think like Chinese medicine, for example, is very fluid mm-hmm. and like kind of like the emotional connection to physical disturbance. Mm-hmm. But the book is trying to, to make that connection like within the Western medical model mm. um, and say that, you know, like when you, you know, like in Chinese medicine where we have concepts like the triple warmer, you know, right. this, this, this kind of the holistic kind of system that's managing you know, multiple dimensions of activity. Mm-hmm. And so then that's when we start about this default mode network. And then I get into like the psychoneurology stuff because that's this whole mind body research that's kind of delineated this constellation of elements of your psychology that are connected to parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. And let's say in the limbic system, the emotional brain. And the way that's wired directly into your autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. which is controlling digestion and heart rate and blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And these holistic kind of body responses and sweating and the expression of your emotions, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's blushing or your stomach rumbling, you know, in response to some kind of anxiety mm-hmm. or whatever, anxious diarrhea, sweating. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it's like this is this is this is where the emotions are expressed mm-hmm. on the kind of from that Western model, and then you have that is directly wired into the immune system, and so we see these inflammatory responses to you know stress, for example, with cortisol levels changing and you know poor wound healing, as we kind of started out this conversation mm-hmm. or earlier we were talking about, or uh, and then the endocrine system, you know, hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. Uh, related to that with the cortisol and adrenaline, you know, being the most obvious examples mm-hmm. with connection to this fight or flight and stress and, and emotional trauma. So where you have PTSD is in, you know, what that's what I'm trying to make the argument. Like this is a, this is a, a disease of the emotional body. Mm-hmm. So it's not simply like a psychological problem. It's not simply a, you know, brain disease like all these elements are disturbed. Mm-hmm. These people, a lot of these people have, you know, heart rate problems and blood pressure problems and inflammation problems in their blood and hormonal disturbances, you know, a number of different kinds of hormonal disturbances. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of like, okay, so we can see now where multiple elements of the emotional body are disturbed. As I'm defining the emotional body, I'm saying this is the psychoneural endocrine immunologic network. Mm-hmm. You know, so in other words, we could talk about liver meridian and anger and stuff like that in Chinese medicine, but where can I point to in the body, in the Western medical system, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, obviously this person went through an emotional trauma. Right. This is a combat veteran that went mm-hmm. through war, and now we see disturbances in all these different systems that I'm describing. Right. And then we can show that through a deep emotional healing process, mm-hmm. those resolve. Mm-hmm. You know, not just in the brain, not just in the psychology, but some of these people's, you know, cardiovascular function improves, 
-hmm. their inflammatory function improves, some of their hormonal functions improve. And so it's this diffuse thing. And so I'm saying that's, that's a disease of the emotional body. Yeah. And tra traditional medicine, uh, like in the Amazon and, you know, even in Chinese medicine, where you have like, you know, discussions of energetics mm -hmm. flowing through the body. And then you see how, at least that's one area where this energies, which are, can be connected to mystical, you know, mm -hmm. uh, things, phenomena. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, well, it's a lot of times in this case of the emotional trauma where we're talking about and what the shamans would say, when they see somebody who has a problem, like I said, of multiple elements of the emotional body, mm -hmm. they'd say, this is a spiritually ill person. Mm -hmm. This is what soul sickness looks like, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, and so that's kind of the argument that I make in the book is like, you know, when you see somebody who has that kind of disturbances, mm. like, you know, like Ricardo says, and, you know, we're not including Chinese medicine because I'm just as an MD. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, pills or surgery, that's not going to fix that. Right. Their problem is energetic and it involves, you know, kind of more subtle energies, mm -hmm. including like whatever accumulates in their body in response to emotional toxicity, you know, not just from their nutrition and whatever, you know, mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals, carcinogens, mm -hmm. but from, you know, difficult experiences in their life. Yeah. And that accumulates in there. And how do we release that and purge that and process that mm -hmm. so that they can then kind of move past that? Yeah. You know, and then you see these physical improvements, like in the book, you know, I talk about a migraine headache case, you know, pretty dramatic resolution. Mm -hmm. And the Crohn's disease case, mm -hmm. you know, the really, and you know, I know people can respond to, to Chinese medicine for those kind of problems as well. Mm -hmm. But once again, the, that approach is, you know, open to the possibility of this, like these, these other energies being involved and, and more mystical or open-minded approaches to try to, how do you address that? You know, right. Versus just trying to limit it to, Oh, it's a, this, you know, migraine is a brain disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the book, I, I draw on, I'm like, hey, you know what? They never taught me this in medical school, but there's, yeah. a, there's a significant amount of research where they're saying migraine might be a maladaptive stress response to mm -hmm. childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I bring it up in the book. It's like the reason that crossed my mind, and I'm not saying it's true in every case, mm -hmm. but in some cases, and the cases that we were seeing down there, like these people will grow up in very aggressive households where there was a lot of screaming and yelling. Mm -hmm. And it made sense that they like might have some kind of sensory like wires crossed mm -hmm. from that overwhelming. And now all of a sudden the smell or the light or a sound pushes them into this kind of maladaptive stress response. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, so then really the nature of their problem is like rooted in that initial trauma. Mm -hmm. So how do we deal with that and process that? And, and, you know, at least in the case presented and something's like, wow, you can see some really big changes. Yeah. Yeah, they really are diseases of the spirit. I mean, we see it clinically all the time. Everybody that comes in, even with shoulder pain or knee pain or right. toe pain, you know, has some sort of a, you know, a, uh, a spiritual aspect of their disorder. Exactly. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the, the veteran and I mean, they, these people are coming, our vets are coming back. Uh, right, right. You know, just 
completely far left of center, right of center, however you want to describe right, it. Right, right. Serious um, diseases of the spirit. So how, how do we protect, you know, when we're doing an ayahuasca journey or any uh, psilocybin trip or whatever, how, how is the, uh, what are the safety concerns, I guess, or what are the dangers? Yeah, well, there's a lot of dangers, you know. Okay. Like, first of all, <clears throat> within the case of ayahuasca, where there's this other um, the ayahuasca vine, you know, mm -hmm. which has these MAOI inhibitors, the monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Mm -hmm. So those are known to have potentially, you know, it's not necessarily like for sure that's going to be toxic, but there's potential drug interactions, mm -hmm. you know, with that. So mm -hmm. then and that really then people, you know, we worry about people trying to make psychiatric medications with those drugs mm -hmm. and you could potentially push somebody into this like serotonin syndrome mm -hmm. that could be very dangerous um, and even lethal. And so the idea that you need to really, and there's a lot of other drugs that interact with MAO inhibitors. Mm -hmm. So you need to be very careful at that level, you know, yeah. of like, okay, what else is being mixed in? And even there are some dietary concerns to consider like things you don't want to mix with monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then now you have just like the full-blown psychedelic and what, what's, what's that going to do to somebody? Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, cardiovascular risks. If somebody is that, you know, known to be a risk of heart attack and stroke, mm -hmm. and they might have a very intense trip, you know, or intense experience, and they could have a heart attack. You know, mm -hmm. people have had heart attacks in, in ayahuasca and in peyote and, and other kinds of, you know, psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. um, or even a stroke, like I mentioned, you know, blood pressure can go up and things like that. Yeah. And then you have the concern about people who are uh, – have a you know predisposition or previously had problems with psychosis, yeah, like schizophrenia, and then in bipolar in particular, people have had like manic episodes. Mm -hmm. So the the psychedelics and in particular ayahuasca can be destabilizing to those people and push them into a really problematic psychotic state or manic state. Mm -hmm. That and I've witnessed this and prolonged, you know, weeks, days to weeks, and requires psychedelic intervention. Mm -hmm. to bring them down mm -hmm. um so that's a real concern so those are like always a big part of the screening mm -hmm. and then there's just the mystery of like you know we don't know exactly there's not a lot of studies to say oh mixing this medication or that medication you know and so you could there's a lot of gray area there you know because yeah. some of these people are taking multiple meds not just psych meds but meds for other problems and so sure. that all has to be considered that being said, you know, somebody with PTSD, let's say a war vet, they could definitely be pushed into some kind of like very fearful, violent state, mm -hmm. you know, and it's happened. Um, and so you want to be dealing with like very advanced practitioners with a lot of the support in place, mm -hmm. you know, to help these people. And so, you know, that, and that's kind of like ultimately part of it is like, you know, like any kind of medical uh, profession, it's like, cause you've done it before. Right. You know, when you, when you're seeing somebody and you can tell them, yeah, I've seen, this, I've helped somebody with this before. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the confidence, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, you draw from. And so, you know, I know there's a lot of excitement and there's, there's, uh, there's places that are focused on that and everybody wants to look. And so that, you know, it's a potential, and it's just very powerful. And there's, I think there's a movie coming out from shock to all, you know, San Diego is a big vet community. Mm -hmm. And so there's all that kind of stuff going on. So there is a lot of promise. 
And in the interim, you know, something that'll be like maybe softer for some of those people and maybe less risk will be the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, mm-hmm. you know, which is coming down the line and the research studies expanding in the next, this year and next year mm-hmm. with a plan to make it available in two years mm. um, to patients. Like it's gotten right? to that point. It's at that level where the FDA, they're in their final phase uh-huh. of trial with the FDA because of the results that they're getting. They're kind of getting fast-tracked. Uh-huh. And so that'll be, you know, something. Huge. And so that'll be available to those guys. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe some of them are going to benefit more from that. Maybe some of them will benefit more from ayahuasca. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it's about, but when it comes to ayahuasca, you know, there's legal concerns. You know, oh, it's sure. not really legal in the United States. Right. And, schedule, um, schedule one, right? Schedule one DMT. Yeah. And so there's, you know, there are, there's the, the Brazilian churches that have a DA exemption, a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And there's other people looking for the exemption um, or are in the process of getting an exemption. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, you know, there'll be more avenues mm-hmm. eventually. But then, you know, again, it's back to this experience factor. Yeah. You know, it's like there's one thing. It's like fresh out of Chinese medical school, fresh out of medical school versus mm-hmm. somebody that is tried and true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, even today, and it's amazing that, you know, people are just having more open conversations about psychedelics in general these days. I think, you know, we're, we're almost at a tipping point. We're not quite there yet, obviously, but right. You know, but what it is shifting. Yeah. It's shifting. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm sure you have one of my students that was talking to her today on a clinic shift earlier. And, and I said, you look a little tired, you know, and she said, Oh, I'm tired. And, you know, we had a, busy weekend went to a concert i was like oh yeah she said uh i said you did you party pretty hard and she said yeah kind of you know we we did some mushrooms and i was like wow she did mushrooms in a at a concert like like with thousands of people i'm like yeah wow that's that's a totally different trip man it's totally different but that's how a lot of people used to do it you know like that was it like that's a grateful dead show you know that's yeah. a fish show it was, it was burning man you know burning man yeah. it's like yeah that's you know, exactly where it was everybody's dead there. revival yeah. yeah yeah exactly and so yeah for me like you know i mean i've i didn't i did when i was younger you know i had a few experiences like that mm-hmm. with and a lot of people have, and that was the LSD and the whole hippies thing, you know, they were just sure. doing it. But, but again, like once you kind of get in touch with kind of the ceremonial aspect and the spiritual aspect, yeah, and it's like, it's hard to, to take it that way. Right. You know? Right. I was thinking, you know, the last time I did mushrooms just completely candidly was, was years ago when I was in my twenties mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't, I, the thought of being in a, at a concert or indoors even was just it's just kind of horrifying. You know, I just went yeah. outside here and at Torrey Pines Park, walking around in the pine trees, you know, and you know, watching the plants breathe and, you know. Yeah. Um, so. A lot of people would prefer that, you know, I think just right off the bat. Right. But then there's this big kind of, you know, experience that a lot of people go for mm-hmm. and that some of them have a blast, you know, and there's, yeah. there's all the MDMA and all that kind of stuff and, yeah. you know, just partying and, uh, but you know there's the same risks are are there you know Mm -hmm. and that's why like for example maps they run the zendo project at burning man you know they have kind of like a psychedelic emergency crew okay Uh, so so that's part of like this tipping point you know Uh is is the responsible use and not like denying like hey guess what this could really you know this could put you into a problem Mm -hmm. and so you better make sure you have a solution to that problem 
mm-hmm. um, if you're going to take these risks. You know, and I think that a lot of those big festivals are addressing that now with like the Zendo project and things like that. Yeah, that's so true. it's you know, so there's there's a maturity around it that needs to be there for for the this kind of tipping point to to move forward. Mm-hmm. So you think the future looks bright? I think it does. You know, I think it's kind of like. You know, there's this thing happening. My brother made the comment to me that, and a lot of people are saying this, like Michael Pollan, you know, his mm-hmm. book is kind of, I've been listening to it a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he's kind of like a late end baby boomer. Sure. So he's like, he was in, he was like 12 or something in the late 60s. Right. So he kind of missed it. And he said he caught it when it was already like, don't do drugs. Right, know? right. And so that's what he really, he saw it, but he didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And yet, like so many people around him and a little bit older than him are experienced with the stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so that's one factor is that there's a lot of people who are now in kind of the elder position mm-hmm. in our society throughout the country that have tried this stuff. Right. You know, it's like very prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so that's different from what they were dealing with with their parents. Right. You know, or just like, well, what is this? You know, this yeah. is not this is not good. Versus like, well, I tried it. It's not that, you know, so there's that factor. Mm -hmm. And then you see the factor that like maps is really big and open about pushing in their policy kind of movement is medicalization leads to legalization. Mm -hmm. So that was the, what their focus was with marijuana. Mm -hmm. And they said they had a lot of polling data that showed that people who voted to legalize marijuana or even medical marijuana was, or I guess it was legalized marijuana was not because they smoked, but because they knew somebody that benefited from medical marijuana. Right. And that's what caused the shift. So mm-hmm. then now, so then all the psychedelic research is going down that same road very openly. Mm-hmm. Like we've learned this from the marijuana experience. So once the MDMA trial, you know, becomes what it is, mm-hmm. already become, and the psilocybin trial is right behind it. Mm-hmm. So they've got MDMA and psilocybin like on the train to become, I guess, rescheduled or, or something. You know, within two to three years. Mm-hmm. So that's then that's going to be like household. Like you're like, yeah, I did the psilocybin, you know, in my psych- psychedelic assisted psychotherapy clinic. Mm-hmm. And so then once that's like, then you don't have to hide it. You know, it becomes a, a discussion. Right. So those things are moving forward. And I think a lot of the community is behind those things moving forward. Mm-hmm. And the old guard resistance you know, and when it comes to Schedule One, where these these three categories, uh, you know, I'll, I'll finish here in a second. But yeah. there's these three uh, criteria. You know, I think it's like that they're addictive, mm-hmm. that they're harmful, right, and that they uh, have no known medicinal use, right. So those are the legal criteria of which, like, none of these substances are are, are meeting that criteria. Right. None of that's true. Yeah. So it's like, and it's now it's now the research because of this new research, the evidence is there. Right. To prove that that's not true. Right. And so as the evidence continues, you know, it's just like more and more promising. And as they touch the conservative elements of the society, like helping war veterans, Mm -hmm. you know, like helping elders with end of life anxiety, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, two of the major focuses of the research right now. Mm -hmm. It's like it touches a lot of people. You know, they're doing war vets. They're doing police. They're doing firefighters. Mm hmm. So this is not like, you know, new age uh, targets, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's wider reaching. 
Yeah, I guess in small doses, I was just thinking about useful uh, uses for pediatric uh, trauma too. I guess you could, it could be applicable in very small doses too. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, that'll eventually, well, you know, there, and, and you see the kind of apparently uh, liberal attitude towards psych medication and children, you know, that's like everywhere. Right. Like they're, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, they give it to them first and then figure out, oh, should we do that? Yeah. Ritalin candy. Yeah. Ritalin candy or even yeah. antidepressants or, you know, anxiety mm. medication. It's like whatever, you know, they don't want them to drink, but they'll, they'll give them that. Right. Right. And so, you know, eventually you would, yeah, you would see that there would be probably a, a place for that, you know, yeah. especially like it's like if to, to nip some early trauma in the bud, you know, like maybe yeah. there's a pathway for that. But, you know, again, very carefully mm -hmm. and responsibly. Yeah, anything we can do to, to help society become more uh, kind and empathetic, I think, uh, we, we right. would welcome, right? And so that's one, one little plug I would make. Well, you know, first the plug for the book, of course, mm -hmm. Pleasure of mm -hmm. the River. But what's come out of the book, and I think it lends itself a lot to the cause of Chinese medicine, and the UCLA Center for East-West Medicine, for instance, Dr. Huey is like very interested in these concepts, mm -hmm. is like the epigenetics. Oh, yeah. Big, so big then topic. epigenetics is a big topic, so we don't have to get so into it. But my point is like that was one of the one of my realizations and one of the like theories that I'm trying to, you know, get behind that the book is trying to culminate and like look at this. It looks like probably the epigenetics mm -hmm. are the ones that are responding to some of this like subtle, energetic, emotional shifts. Yeah. You know, and making the argument for why that seems to be the case. Mm -hmm. and how it relates to each one of the illnesses that's proposed. And so we could see, like, you know, obviously herbal medicine would, would have a lot of epigenetic possibilities in general. But so now the MDMA trial with PTSD with, from MAPS, which is now moving to this large-scale trial, mm -hmm. has agreed to allow us, this organization that I've started with, a nonprofit called Modern Spirit, Mm -hmm. to collect saliva samples on the people going through the study mm. to look for epigenetic changes, mm -hmm. you know, within like elements of the psychoneuroendocrine immunologic system, whether it's, you know, white blood cells or something, mm -hmm. but finding the epigenetic changes that would be linked to their emotional healing. Mm. And so that's happening. So we're raising money for that. Fantastic. Modernspirit.org. Well, Dr. Tafur, I think we've uh, we've explored this topic uh, yes, yes. greatly, and I, I, I just really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your vast wealth of knowledge with us and our listeners today. Um, we'll link to your website uh, through our Pacific Center uh, link, and um, I really, really have enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so yeah, much for your pleasure. thoughtful approach. All right. I appreciate it. I okay. hope to join you down the Amazon sometime. Yeah, let's do it. That would be fun. Let's do it. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.